We're focusing on Bethlehem. Bethlehem is, even today, not a big city. It's a small place, but it has some great significance in Scripture, because from Bethlehem came the Savior, Jesus Christ. He was born in that little town of Bethlehem that we just sang about. Today, there's approximately 25,000 people living in that little town, and uh, it's under the Palestinian Authority. Jesus Christ is not really well known even there in Bethlehem. He's there. I mean, he, is, he was born there, but uh, a lot of the people there don't acknowledge him for who he is. The vast majority of Bethlehem citizens today are Muslim. And according to a census that was recently taken, only about 20% of the people in the city of Bethlehem are Arab Christians. Not a well-known place for Jesus Christ. The number one industry you can imagine, especially at this time of the year, is tourism. And about two million uh, people make their trek to Bethlehem. I was looking at some things about tourism in Bethlehem the other day, and I noticed that they said that the tourists basically go to Bethlehem. There's not much to see. They go to the church in the nativity. They, they use the restroom facilities. They dump their trash, and they leave. They're there about four hours. That's all they can take. They've got to go on. It's kind of an oppressive place, actually. had some friends who've been there, and they told me uh, it wasn't a real pleasant place to be. This last summer when my wife and I were in Israel, we were only six miles from Bethlehem. We weren't very far, but our guide was a Messianic Jew, and she said, I'm not welcome there. They don't want me there. And so she couldn't take us there, and we didn't have the opportunity to visit that little town. I understand that there's a large wall around the city that's basically to keep the Palestinians from attacking Jerusalem that's six miles away. And uh, so it's not a real great, wonderful, super place, but it is a place of great significance. And today we're going to look at the history of Bethlehem and how it plays into our lives even today and how important it is, even though it's not a great place. It doesn't seem to be a pleasant destination, but it's important in God's plan. You know, sometimes God uses the little things, the insignificant things, and God transforms something that is ugly into something quite beautiful. And uh, we want to be able to see that as we go through uh, the message today. So look at Bethlehem and Israel's history as we start off here. And you can kind of page along in the scriptures if you like. I'll kind of give you some updates as we go through. If I read everything that I've got in these notes from the scriptures, you would, uh, we would be here till dinner time tonight. So we won't do that. But uh, I I do want to give you an understanding of what happened here. In Genesis chapter 35, that's the first mention that we have of this little town of Bethlehem. And it it didn't even begin as a happy place. Uh, In Genesis chapter 35, verse 16, uh, uh, Jacob and Rachel are on their way to Bethlehem. They haven't reached Bethlehem, and along the way... Rachel, who is with child, has her last son, Benjamin. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 16, it says, Jacob's family journeyed from Bethel. And when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, which is another name for Bethlehem, uh, Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered severe labor. And when she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for now you have another son. And it came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Benoni, 
bitterness. But her father called him Benjamin, beloved. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Benjamin. Her her tomb is still there today. Jacob set up a pillar over her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Rachel, remember her when you think of Bethlehem. Because we'll see her name once again later on as we look into the future of, of Bethlehem. That occurred about somewhere between 1500 and 1800 years before Jesus Christ was born. You know, we think of history. And that would amaze, that's what amazed me as we were in Israel was, was the United States, we look at 250 years as a nation going, wow, we're an old country. These cities were thousands of years old, 4,000 years or more. Uh, Bethlehem is an old city that's still there. And then uh, there was another person that came from Bethlehem in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 17. Again, uh, insignificant people, people who didn't always have the right motives, people who were sinners, came out of Bethlehem. There was a Levite there in Judges chapter 17 who met up with a man named Micah. Not the Micah in the Bible. This is another Micah, Micah the Ephraimite. And uh, they met together and they participated in idolatry. Uh, And the Levite, who was supposed to be set aside for the worship of God, who'd been trained to do the worship of God, who was born and raised in Bethlehem, allowed himself to become mercenary in his ministry. He went into the ministry for the money. And he went to the highest bidder to serve them. Let's look at this. Judges chapter 17, verse 1. Now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. Again, not the Micah of the prophet, uh, the prophet of the book of Micah. Book of Micah. Uh, anyway, he said to his mother, The 1,100 piece, pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing, behold, the silver is with me, and I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. He then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother, and his mother said, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image. How perverted are they in their thinking here? A molten image. Now, therefore, I will return them to you. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith, who made them into a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah. I had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household idols and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. Uh, And in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in their own eyes. This is what's happening in Israel at the time. Sinful people turning away from the Lord, claiming to worship God as the children of Israel did in the wilderness when they made the molten calf, the golden calf, and how God brought down judgment on them. Now this man is doing the same thing. And along comes a man, verse 7, of, of Bethlehem, a man from Bethlehem, a Levite, trained again in the ways of the Lord, how to help people in the worship of the Lord, but he decides that he's going to help the worship in the worship of this idol. Look at this, Matthew, Judges chapter 17, verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he was staying there, and then the, men, the man departed from the city, from Bethlehem in Judah, to stay wherever he might find a place. And as he made his journey, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of God. You know, not everybody who claims to be a preacher of the gospel is really faithful to the Lord. There's some that just do it for the money. They're not following the will of God. They're not following the call of God. They're not following the leading of God. They're just trying to make a living, and they think this would be a good vocation. This is this man. Verse 9. 
Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to stay wherever I may find a place. Doesn't matter. Don't need to follow the Lord. Whoever's going to pay me the most money, I'll come. Verse 10, Micah then said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, a suit of clothes, and your maintenance. So the Levite went in. The Levite agreed to live with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and not the priest of the Lord. He became a priest of the idol, and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, seeing I have a Levite to, as a priest. Some people use a preacher or use a priest like a good luck charm. If I'm friendly with him, God will bless me. Uh, I hope that's not the reason you're friendly with me. I like you. Uh, but I hope that's not the reason you're friendly to me, that you, God, God will bless you. The guy like that is not very much full of character. And you need to watch out for people like this. They'll go wherever the money is. They'll follow the money wherever it goes. And uh, a little bit later, along came a tribe of Danites, the people from the tribe of Dan. And there were more of them than there were of Micah. And they decided that they wanted Micah's idol for themselves. And then they decided they didn't only want Micah, they wanted his priest. And so they offered him more money. So he left Micah, he left the idol, and off he went with the tribe of Dan to worship another idol. And you can look at that as you look in Judges chapter 18, verses 20, or verses 14 down to verse 20. And he just went wherever the priest, wherever the money was. Look at verse 19 of that. The Danites said to him, the priest, be silent, put your hand over your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest at a house of one man or to be the priest of a tribe and a, fa and a family in Israel? So the priest's heart was glad he got more money. And he took the ephod and the household idols and the graven image and went among the people again. Better pay. Tell me what to say. There are preachers like that. Be careful of them. I promise you I will tell you the truth, whatever it says in God's word. Whatever happens as a result doesn't matter to me. I'm not here for the money. I'm here to serve the Lord. Well, let's go on. Another person from Bethlehem, a murdered concubine, Judges chapter 19, a young lady. Now we had a young man, unnamed, unnamed Levite. Now we have an unnamed lady, an un unnamed young lady. And uh, she was from Bethlehem, and apparently her father didn't think much of her because he sold her off to another man to be his concubine. Now a concubine is kind of like a wife, but not really a wife. There's no love involved. It's just she becomes a plaything for this man. And, uh, and the father, for the money or whatever, was allowed. You see the wickedness that's happening in the city of Bethlehem. It's a wicked place. There's a lot of sin there. A lot of evil things happening there. Judges chapter 19, verse 1. It came about in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim who took a concubine for himself from Bethlehem in Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him and she went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem and in Judah and was there for a period of four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak tenderly to her in order to bring her back, taking with him his servant and a pair of donkeys. So she brought him into her father's house, and when the girl's father saw him, he was glad to meet him. Why? Because I gave a lot of money. I got some money from this man. His father-in-law, the girl's father, detained him, and he remained with him three days. And you could read some more. There's more that happens here. 
And then the man gets ready to leave. And you get down in Judges chapter 19. The man who bought his concubine ends up, and she basically is not really considered a person. She's more of a thing to him. In chapter 19 and verse 22, her husband allowed wicked men to abuse and murder her in order to save his own skin. And verse uh, 19 says, While they were celebrating, behold, the, man of the, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows surrounded the house, pounding the door, and they spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came into your house so we may have relations with him. Again, they weren't pure at all in their relations. They were wanting a homosexual relationship with this man. Then the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my fellows, please do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not commit this act of folly. Here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Please let me bring them out that you may ravish them and do to them whatever you wish. But do not commit such an act of folly against this man. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and brought her out to them. And they raped her and abused her all night until morning. Then let her go at the approach of dawn. And as the day began to dawn, the woman came and fell down at the doorway of the man's house where her master was until full daylight. And when her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, then behold, his concubine was laying at the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up and let us go. But there was no answer. Then he placed her on the donkey, and the man arose and went to his home. Wicked things happened by some of these people from Bethlehem and the people of Israel. There was awful things that happened there. Later on, we see that that man took that body of that dear woman, cut it up, and shipped it all over Israel to try to rally the children of Israel to fight against the Benjamites who had brought this disgrace upon Israel. She was a thing. She wasn't a wife. Gentlemen, I hope that you treat your wives better than that. I hope you treat them a lot better than that. I hope that you love them and that you train them and bring them up and help them to grow in, the walk, in their walk with the Lord and not treat them like some sort of a thing. This was happening with people from Bethlehem. But then we have some good news that happened from Bethlehem. Go to the book of Ruth. You've read that little book, four chapters. And there we have Limelech and Naomi. They've grown up in Bethlehem. And they were in this nice little town, this small little town, and, and a famine came along. And they decided that rather than stick it out with the people of God, they would go out into the world to try to make their own way. A lot of people do that sort of thing. I don't want to stay with the people of God. I can make it in this life, so I'm going to do that. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab, the world, Gentile nation, pagan nation, with his wife. And his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of the two sons, Ramalan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. About, verse 4 says they stayed there about ten years, and they took on two wives, Oprah, Oprah Orpah, and, and, and Ruth. And they became a part of his family. His sons left Bethlehem, a place that was under... Uh, in the worship of God and went into the world th- seeking better things and his wives and his, his sons intermarried with the world. And Elimelech, you know the story, ended up dying. Then we know later on the two sons died. And then Naomi is left with these two pagan daughters-in-law 
and decides it's, I'm going back home. I'm going back to the place where God is worshipped. I'm leaving this pagan land. I'm returning where I should be. I wonder if there's someone here who's been wandering in the world and decides it's time to come home to the Lord. I trust that you'll make the wise decision that Naomi did. And perhaps you're someone who came from a pagan background like Ruth. And Ruth decided, I don't want the world anymore. I want to know about the Lord. I've seen him in Naomi's life, and I want to follow her. And we go to Ruth chapter 1, verses 3 and uh, verse, well, uh, we go down to Romans, Ruth chapter 1, and we can see where Ruth put her trust in the Lord. Verse uh, 16, Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything, but death parts you and me. And then we read on in the book of Ruth, and we see where this young lady, this Moabitess widow, meets up with Boaz, and God puts them together. And he redeems this pagan girl, and she marries into the line of David and Jesus Christ, the Son of God. An amazing story of redemption that happened in Bethlehem. Well, what else happened in Bethlehem? Of course, we know who Ruth was. You know who her grandson was? Her grandson was a young man named David, who became the king of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 17 describes Bethlehem as a monarch's homeland. That's the homeland of David. David was the son of, of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was uh, old in the days of Saul and goes on. But it says, David... Uh, went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem in verse 15. So Bethlehem became the homeland of King David, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. David loved Bethlehem. He absolutely loved his homeland. How many of you have ever grown up someplace and you still have that thirst for the water of home? I still would love to get a glass of water from the well on Limestone Road in Illinois where I grew up. Fresh water right out, of the, right out of the ground. Wonderful stuff. None of this city stuff that they put into it. It's not bottled in plastic. Right out of the ground. It's good stuff. That's the way David felt about Bethlehem. The monarch's thirst is seen in 2 Samuel chapter 23. He said, that's my homeland. I want to go there. And as they were there, uh, they got in that area. He was with some of his soldiers and the Philistines had taken over the land of Bethlehem. This time it was under the rule of pagans who were ruling over the city. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 14, David was then in the stronghold while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And you know the story. Three of his most powerful men broke through the troops in Bethlehem, got him a glass of water, brought it back to him and said, here you go, sir, water from home. And David, in all of his wisdom, said, no, I can't drink this. This represents the blood of three men who risked their lives to bring me water. Even though I love to have the water from home, I can't do this. So along with some awful sinners from Bethlehem, there were some people of character in Bethlehem. We can be grateful and thankful for that.
So that's the history of Bethlehem. Now let's take a look at some prophecy from Bethlehem. Bethlehem and uh, the book of Micah is full of prophecy that deals with the city of Bethlehem. We read a little bit about that this morning. There was a part of what we read in our scripture reading was the fulfillment of a prophecy that came from the book of Micah. You'll notice I gave you a little green box there under there with kind of an acrostic that deals with the seven chapters of this small book. And the acrostic is of Messiah. Messiah comes from Bethlehem. And uh, it's all tied in. Bethlehem was a place where Micah, the prophet, steps up and he was from a place called Moresheth. Moresheth is about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's out in the country, down along the coast, uh, kind of an insignificant place. But God used Micah and another man named Hosea and another man named Isaiah at towards the end of Israel's history before they went into captivity to tell them you need to get ready because captivity is coming because you've been living in sin and you must be dealt with, this must be dealt with. Chapter 1 of the book of Micah, and I'm just giving you a quick, quick synopsis here, uh, is loaded with messages against Samaria, the northern tribes of Israel, and Jude, Jerusalem, the southern tribes of, of Israel after the divided kingdom. And uh, this prophet comes in and says in verse 5 of chapter 1, all this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting a place for vineyards. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay her bare and lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed. All of her earnings will be burned with fire. All of her images I will make desolate, for she collected them for a harlot's earnings, and to the earnings of a harlot they will return. So chapter 1 in the book of Micah talks about judgment that's coming because of Israel's sin. Chapter 2 talks about judgment coming because of the evils of the people. God sees and he hates sin. He hates the sins of his people. He still loves his people. We'll see that as we get to the end of this book. We're just kind of quickly hitting over the top of it. Micah chapter 2 verse 1 says, Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds. When morning comes, they do it, for it is the power of their hands. They covet fields, they seize them in houses and take them away. They rob a man in his house and a man in his inheritance. Bad things happening in the land. Chapter 3 talks about sins of Israel's leaders and how they were corrupt. The heads of the Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel, they hate good and love evil, and uh, they practice evil deeds. Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I'm giving a quick synopsis there. Chapter 4 then announces that in the middle of all this wickedness, in the middle of the sins of the people, the sins of the leaders, there's going to come a sovereign king in Zion who's going to set everything straight. He's going to deal with sin. He's going to show people how they can be redeemed from their sins. In Micah chapter 4 verse 1, it'll come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come and let us go into the mountain of the Lord, into the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Verse 3, and he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for the mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. How many of you have been to the United Nations? 
Have you seen that on the wall? That's part of what the United Nations says. We're going we're gonna to beat the, the, uh, the spears into plows. We're going to make peace. We're going to find a way to do it. The thing that they forgot is that they need the ultimate king, Jesus Christ. It's never going to happen because of men's desire. Men are wicked. Men are sinful. Men are always going to be greedy. Men have evil hearts. But Jesus Christ, the righteous king, is going to come in. He's going to straighten all this out. And not until Jesus Christ reigns will we have peace on this earth. Chapter 4 ends up in verse 5 saying, We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Then chapter 5 comes that wonderful prophecy that we have often heard at Christmas time. The prophecy that talks about Jesus the Messiah coming and being born in the little town of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Israel. Not a real pleasant place. From you, one will go forth from me, this is God speaking, to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. See, Jesus Christ was there before the world began. He is God. The Bible tells us in John 1, he was in the beginning with God because he was God. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us through Bethlehem. Wonderful thing that happened here. And Micah chapter 5 verse 2 includes the promise that this one will be our peace. There will be no peace until you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior who came through Bethlehem. Chapter 6 tells us what is expected of those who know the Lord and follow after the Lord. It tells us uh, that at the end of chapter 6 and verse 8, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. See, religion is not about keeping a bunch of rules. It's not about keeping all the laws. It's not about you don't please God by earning your way to heaven. You come by simply trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, letting him change your heart, walking with him, and pleasing him in the way that you live. And then we get into chapter 7 of Micah and the prophecy there, and there's hope in God's future. In Micah chapter 7, verse 18, it says, Who is God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? Even the iniquity of a wicked place like Bethlehem. And passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. And he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Wonderful thing came out of Bethlehem. A savior who could forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all those things. So that we could walk with him and have the peace of God in our hearts and in our lives. Seven short chapters there, the book of Micah, that deal with the fact that God hates sin, but he loves sinners, and he will provide a way for them to come to know him as Savior and have that relationship with him. So now let's turn. We've seen history of Bethlehem. We have seen some prophecies from Bethlehem, and now we're going to see Bethlehem in the gospel. And you know this story very well. Especially if you grew up in a Christian home, you've heard this over and over and over again. Joseph and Mary make a march home. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says that they are living in Nazareth. I did a little search to find out where is Nazareth and how does that relate to Bethlehem and where Bethlehem is. 
And as the crow flies, if you were to just to get on a little short hop of an airplane, you could fly directly from uh, Nazareth or Galilee, where, where Joseph and Mary lived, down to Bethlehem. It's a 60-mile straight flight. But if you've ever been there, it's a little like San Francisco. Curvy roads up and down, all around. You don't know how long, long it's going to take you to get there. And they were on foot. They weren't in an airplane. Mary may have had an animal with her to ride on. And off they went. Not because they wanted to. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that it's dusty, it's dirty, it's, it's, it's hot at times. Lots of rocks in the roads, lots of d- difficulties around the way. Up and down some mountains and around some hills. And then there were thieves and robbers and that sort of thing. So they took a roundabout path. It probably was a 90-mile trek on foot, marching to Jerusalem with Mary, 12 and a half months pregnant almost, it seemed like. Difficult trip. But they were forced into it. In the will of God. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone that was on his way to register for the census, each one to his own city. Joseph, in the plan of God, also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. God timed all this out. Galatians chapter 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem us from the law. What a wonderful thing God did. So they took that 90-mile march from, Nazareth, from, from uh, Galilee to Bethlehem. And in Luke chapter 2, we see the Messiah's birth. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give her birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and laid them in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David. This is the big deal about Bethlehem. There has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem. Then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he laid in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen, just as had been told them. In God's perfect timing, he sent his son. He sent him through Bethlehem. That's the big deal of Bethlehem. A lot of other problems there, but Messiah makes all things right. Jesus Christ makes all things right. Matthew chapter 2, we read it this morning about how the wise men were following a star and they ended up 
on their way to Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the house of, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet Micah, Micah 5.2. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Herod didn't like it. And then we see a madman's rage. The the wise men understood that they were not to take uh, news to him about where Jesus was. They went off another way, the Bible tells us. And then Herod finds out and he goes into this rage in Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. And I won't read it all. But it talks about how he sent soldiers into Bethlehem. He didn't want the Messiah. He didn't want a king. He wanted his own way. He wanted his own plan. He wanted his own choice of how he was going to live his life and how he was going to rule his world. And he rejected the Messiah. And he sent soldiers to kill the Messiah. And we know the story about how the angel came to Joseph and said, take him away. Take Jesus, take Mary, run to Egypt, stay there until I tell you to come back. And God preserved the Messiah. Later on he came back after Herod had passed. And then he began his ministry. And then he eventually went to a cross to die for us, to save us from our sins. And then he rose again to prove he had the power to overcome sin and darkness. And to redeem us from everything that we have done in our lives. Now the question is this, you've seen how God has worked in spite of the wickedness of men. You've seen how God used chosen people along the way to help people to remember that the Messiah was coming. You have been reminded today that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that he's here. That he came to save us from our sins. And now you have a decision what you're going to do with that. Will you accept him as the shepherds did and be grateful about what Jesus Christ has done? Will you receive him as your savior? Will you serve him with your life? Or will you say, I still want my own way and be like that madman Herod and say, nope, I don't want him. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to reject what the gospel has provided for me and die in your sins as Herod did. The decision is up to you. A big thing happened in Bethlehem. A savior came. He doesn't force himself upon us, but he's made himself available to us. What will you do with the Messiah who came through Bethlehem? Father, I pray that you will use the things that were said today to prick hearts. Maybe some of the things that were happening in Bethlehem or among the people of Bethlehem is something that Someone in this room needs to deal with and make this thing right. But ultimately, Lord, we know that there may be some who have not yet come to accept Jesus Christ as a Savior. I pray that today would be that day. There may be Christians who strayed away like Naomi did. 
who need to come back to the Lord. I pray that they would make that decision as well. Lord, have your will and way in this service as we continue. Work in each of our hearts. Help us at this Christmas time to revel in the wonder of what happened there in Bethlehem. The coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.